Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Marin here on Podcast Monday. What? Monday, you say? What happened to Friday? <laughs> oh, lots happened, and that's part of the update. So just squeezing in a quick podcast here before my Midwife Monday event on YouTube, which happens at 12 Pacific right now. So I will be on the clock for this one to make sure I don't go over. And this might be a heavier sort of podcast. I don't know. I don't really know if it needs to be. Wanting to talk about the subject of death and how we talk about this with our children. So mothering number, I don't remember. It's got to be nine or 10, though, at this point. I'll get there. And there's definitely a story in our house that leads up to this conversation. But first, a brief moving update. Still trucking, still going, still keeping the faith on most days that our home has already happened has already happened on some timeline and we are just waiting. Doesn't mean there isn't a lot of effort being put in right now. We have changed literally direction by the week, by the day. (sighs) Yeah. So feeling into the joy I want to feel and the ease I want to feel around this realizing that some of our efforts lately have been hard. And I think it's fine to try and to make things happen sometimes. I think Jason and I have both felt like if we could stay here in Arizona, uh, in this area, even better, that would certainly be easiest, right? Like no cross-country move, no upset children, no starting over. That's all true. And I'm open to that, as I've said, but it's been hard. So we desire ease, but we weren't really seeking with ease here for whatever reason. It's just not the place. It's just not the time. And after a lot of effort, like a lot the last week or two, I think I'm ready to be done with that as a focus. Um, It's got to be easier than this. It does. I know it does. And feeling like you're slamming your head against the wall or, you know, any of those other metaphors, really, uh, they felt fitting trying to find a home here. The prices, the market, and then just the simple energetics that we must be not welcome anymore and being asked to move on. So I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of trying and not succeeding, although one could argue that What is success, right? Like success is to listen to where we're supposed to go. 
but dropping it here for now, dropping the effort, dropping the hardness. If something happens to appear sort of at the last minute, then great. But we've moved on to other ideas, other areas of the country, and are more seriously pursuing those in the ways we know how. But when I have a, an actual place, as I've said, I will share. Uh, thank you so much. So many of you have written me kind emails and messages and just sent your love. And I think I'm not the only one in this position right now, for sure. I've heard of many people that are in between living situations right now, needing to find a new place all over the world. So there is something cosmically happening right now where we are being asked to shed, we are being asked to drop it, we are being asked to fully sink into our true selves. And that's also part of my story today, because I think that is happening on every level, conscious, subconscious, um, it's happening if we're open to it. And it's not always pretty, and it's not always fun, and it's not always comfortable. But I am aware of this greater picture. And that gives me so much peace. You know, this isn't about me and my tiny little life, necessarily. It's a great cosmic shift of people stepping into their power in all of the ways that they need to. So with this new moon, I don't know when this podcast will release, but there was a new moon last night, Aries and super powerful in releasing old patterns, old relationships. And so I actually made a list last night of the things I feel like I'm leaving behind and some more willingly than others, which sounds funny because with these patterns, I think we definitely, I do see them as more negative, right? Like I'm not going to do that anymore kind of thing. But there's also an attachment somehow to what we know what we are comfortable with. And that's been just a huge lesson with this moving thing. Again, um, we could stay here, we're comfortable, we're attached. But is that really what's being asked? And if I really listen deeply to myself, I know, despite that it's hard. And I might totally cry during this podcast. Um, I know that we're being asked to change and shift. And so I think we all are, and it looks different for every one of us. Obviously, it's not a matter of circumstance or location for everyone. There's tons of people in this town, and they might be doing equally as hard work of letting go and shifting, but yet they remain here. But that's not my path right now. Um, it does come back to somehow starting over and recognizing that that starting over is reverberating into all parts of my life. So that's the sort of cryptic, vague update, which isn't one, really. Um, I hesitate to really give any kind of locations or things we're looking into for no other reason than they're changing by the day. And yeah, it, it wouldn't even make sense by the time a podcast got out there or whatever. So thank you if you've been helpful. Thank you if you've sent, sent positive thoughts. Thank you for just understanding um, thank you for holding us in your thoughts. It's also meaningful. So we're on to this topic sort of briefly today about death and mothering and how we approach this with our children. And my computer is about to die. So actually, um, give me two seconds here.
Okay, sorry. That was strange. But no, no good to have a computer that's recording die in the middle of a podcast. So speaking of dying, funny but not funny, we had a dog die over the weekend. And I definitely am feeling emotional about that. But I wanted to capture some of the feelings and what's been going on in our family because I do think it's so valuable to have this conversation even with myself. Our dog Basil, my beloved guardian and protector, passed away suddenly a couple days ago. And to say it was a shock is a severe understatement. Um, he was fine. He's relatively healthy. He, he has or had, I guess, some issues um, health-wise his whole life, but he was 10 and doing quite well and happy and vibrant and, you know, just great. So as the story goes, I was the one to feed the dogs on Friday. That's the job that my son Egan has, and he was grilling for our family. So I decided to help him out and feed them. And I'm so glad I did because that was the last time I would ever see this sweet animal of mine alive. Fed them. We feed them downstairs. And, you know, he got his food. All was well, I believe. And... Usually he comes running right up. He comes, he eats really fast. He's a very hyper little guy, even for being 10. Um, he's a miniature Australian shepherd. Many of you have seen him in our birth videos and photos. He's been around through many of the kids' births. Uh, so anyway, he usually comes running right up after his meal. And he does this really annoying bark at the gate upstairs. So I noticed that he wasn't doing that. And, you know, kids running around, I'm doing other things. I just sort of noticed, huh, wonder what he's doing down there. Maybe he found someone else's food, right? Didn't give it a whole lot of thought. And whatever, five minutes passed, 10 minutes passed. It wasn't very long. The other dogs came up as they always do. They were already mingling. And my sweet daughter, Belgium, came up and she was with Tallulah. And this is part of the conversation, I think, um, just how kids react to death and, and what they do with it and, and what they believe. And with these 10 children, there were so many different responses and reactions. So Belgium and Tallulah have a room downstairs, and I'm imagining they just happened upon poor Basil dead in the hallway, just dead, you know, no signs of anything. And what that felt like for them. Belgium is still feeling really sad. I mean, it's only been a couple of days and she's been very open and talking about it, which is great, but she was in shock. And you can imagine, it's just not a nice thing to find. So as this story goes, they were confused. Of course, they at first thought he was just laying down or whatever they thought. And then she realized, no, he was not alive. You know, his tongue was hanging out. His eyes were vacant and they came upstairs and they were actually kind of laughing about it. And that might sound strange, but having been through other death experiences, um, I think I talked about it on my miscarriage story with Sable, you know, there's moments of humor or almost nervousness, right? Like uncomfortableness that causes people to have these funny reactions, these strange reactions. So they were laughing, but you know, it wasn't funny. And I don't think they meant it that way. I think they were totally freaked out. And so they came up and they just said, Mom, Basil's dead. 
And because they were laughing and because this was just such a shock, I really didn't quite get it at first. I thought they were joking, but I knew they wouldn't play that kind of joke. And so I just went downstairs and the whole time down, I was saying, you guys, like, what are you talking about? I was just in disbelief. What what were they talking about? And found him myself very much dead. All the kids rushed down. I mean, the ones that could, of course. And my son, Egan, in particular, who is so loving and kind and, you know, thinks really clearly. God bless him in these kind of situations. Um, He just said, Mom, I'm sorry. And then he said, should we do CPR? Which was really sweet. And no, it was it was not a thing to do. Um, There was nothing to do. So his body was still warm, but he was very much not in it. And we all, the kids and I, just sort of stood there, shocked for a while. At least a couple of minutes. It could have been longer. A totally time stands still in these moments. And a couple of them were sobbing. You know, Amelia ran down. She was very upset. Um, For a lot of these younger children, this dog has been in their life the whole entire time. You know, he was 10. He just turned 10. So Ever, in particular, has had a really hard time. She just keeps saying, you know, he was there when I was born. He was there when I was born. And yes, he was. He was there for her birth. He was there for True's birth. He was there when Sable came out. Um, He was there for Cove's birth. He was there for Dava's birth. Funny enough, didn't get to see Rumi be born, of course, but has been present and really into all of that. Um, You know, we have a lot of female dogs and funny the females don't really care too much when you're having a baby. I don't know. I guess I, I assume that they have this idea of like, whatever, you know, no big deal. Or some of them been there, done that. But the males, um, and Basil in particular, was always super nervous when I would have a baby and had to be right there. Like wasn't nervous enough to leave, <laughs> but had to be there and was always the first to lick a kid when they came out. So sweet ever. She was sobbing this weekend and kept saying, he gave me my second kiss. Because of course, she knows I gave her her first kiss. And sweet Basil gave her her second kiss. And we do have a photo of that, that she can remember and look at. So that was the tragic event this weekend. Um, We did move to burying him in our yard, sort of immediately. I knew for sure I didn't want or need to bring him anywhere. I didn't need to know more about the cause of death, um, you know, or even cremation, having to deal with other people. Just no, it didn't feel right. And we've done this before with another dog we had. So the kids knew how it went. And um, Jason and Egan got worked, got to work digging a hole in our yard. It does make me sad that we will be leaving that property and Basil's body will stay behind, but that's been part of the conversation too, is just, you know, bodies versus souls and what happens when we leave and all of that, that I'll get into a little bit. But that's the story. And we are all very sad, of course. And, you know, if you haven't lost a pet, or if you're not a pet person, I totally get, it's hard to understand it really is. And even when people around me, you know, <laughs> have a dog die, like, yes, you're sad, you feel for them, but you you just really can't know the depth of how it affects them. Because I definitely know that 
we're all trained to kind of think, oh, it's just a pet. And, you know, of course it's not, it's a family member. And in the case of our family, it's, it's not even just the death of a pet. It's everything. It's death itself. It's the awareness. It's the loss of innocence on the part of children, which is just a part of being human. And it's also kind of a summation of that part of your life. So with Basil, just briefly being 10, he accompanied me through a lot of hard parts in my life. He made the move to Minnesota many years ago. He made the move back. He was with me through a lot of this licensing bullshit, me giving back my license, me starting up again as an autonomous midwife. Um, He's been with me, literally next to me, by my side through every single one of these events. And that's so meaningful. And I have found a lot of peace in his timing because of that. Um, As I spoke earlier in this podcast about the new moon and this shift and this new paradigm and this new consciousness. Um, This was symbolic of that for me. So this dog that symbolized me, I mean, he's my dog. It was no one else's (laughs) message, I don't think. Um, You know, that part of me is gone. Like that part of me has died. I have moved through that. I am not who I was 10 years ago. I am not who I was even five months ago. And I really see that as the message. And I believe that animals are just so willing and able to be our karmic partners in that way. I don't believe that they see death as a bad thing, as a punishment, as anything negative at all, just that it was simply time and that his contract was up. So, you know, I think there is definitely this spiritual conversation. I'm not needing everyone to agree with me. Many of you have different beliefs religiously, spiritually, especially around death. And that's totally fine. Of course, I'm not here to try to convince anyone, but just sharing where I'm coming from. So feeling the symbolism in his death, knowing that we are being asked to create something new, leave the old patterns behind. Um, It wasn't about him personally, but that was the symbolism. So it's sad, but there's also something that feels freeing about it. And I can't quite explain that. Um, So just being with the children as they process and knowing that my process, of course, is separate and they're all valid. So whatever someone feels with death, whatever someone feels with the death of a pet or whatever their reaction is, you know, even if it's laughing um, in that weird way that gets us sometimes around these uncomfortable topics, that's okay. So that is what happened. And we are all healing and recovering. Our dogs have taken on a new energy, which is also fascinating if you know anything about packs of animals. Um, I, I don't in the sense, even though I've had animals for a long time, I've never had a death of one affect them all so profoundly. So Jason asked this morning if I thought they were mourning. And I don't per se. Um, You can feel how they recognize the absence of his energy. But I don't know that I would say there's a sadness. There's an acceptance. There's an acceptance that he's gone and that the pack is different. And almost as if, you know, by magic or, or accident, all of their energies have recalibrated. And I think that, again, is super interesting to think about with death 
in general, because when we have a soul that was there, no matter what or who it was, they had a vibration, they took up energetic space in a certain way. And, you know, of course, that means that we miss them. Mostly, we miss them. And especially if it's a human, we really miss them. And we miss them all the time. And we miss, you know, what could have been or what they said or any of the above. But with an animal, it's not as complicated, yet it's the same principle that the energy has changed. Um, Not that you can't feel his energy around. So even though he's a dog, I have totally felt him around. I have heard him. I have thought he was following me. And I look and there's nothing there. So that was a cool conversation Ever and I had. She's really sensitive and very in tune and in her soul self, um, if I could make the assumption, she's very old. She's very ancient. And so um, she had a very hard time at the age of seven. And my hunch would be it was just recognizing that death is so real, you know, and that it can be sudden and it can happen and that no one is exempt. So the big lessons at the age of seven. And truthfully, with Ever, it's not new. She was a two-year-old when Sable died. And she knows the story. I don't know that she has conscious memory of like the day it happened. But she has always held since then and, and probably before in her life in many lifetimes, this sensitivity around death and, an, and a really mature awareness. Um, so, you know, karma, right? She was, she was the two-year-old that got to experience this with me. She was the one that kept me sane. Um, she was still nursing and she was my baby. You know, she was my baby for as long as I needed her to be. She nursed till the age of five. Um, because we had lost this, this boy, you know, this baby. And so that's just been her path, you know, to have this, this knowledge and, and all of that at such a young age. Um, it's not easy to watch. I think we all wish we could spare our children death at all, right? Like, it made me think of um, that Berenstein Bears. I don't know if anybody's read that, but I did as a kid, and my kids love those silly books. Um, but the Berenstein Bears you know, something about a pet and sister bear gets a goldfish. And while she's at school, the goldfish dies and the parents just buy a new one and try to act like nothing happened, right? Because they're so uncomfortable and they don't want to upset the child and all of the things. And I totally get it. Like if there's a way, if there was some way to spare children from this topic, um, I guess I might choose it too, even though there's the other side of this, which is death happens. You know, it happens when we don't want it to, it happens when we least expect it. Um, And eventually, it happens to all of us. So I don't know. I mean, I'd be curious how other people deal with this with their children, but I've never wanted to hide or make up stories or, um, you know, just act like it didn't happen. So with Sable, the kids were well aware, this baby has died. I carried him for four months after they knew every day that I was getting up and they were getting up um, if they remembered, because I think at a certain point, it didn't, you know, wasn't totally central to their young lives, um, that I had a dead baby inside of my body, and that this was the route I was choosing. And, you know, when he came out, 
the older ones were were there. They were able to look at photos. We still have photos. We still talk about him all the time. So I feel like they have a solid basis for understanding that. And what it's always come back to in a lot of the conversations about death for us has been this concept of we each have our time and that it's not a punishment. As I said, um, it's not anything but an agreement that we make before we even come. We agree how long we'll stay. And it makes me think of that song. Um, I think the the musician or the group is called Wookie Foot. And the song is called In the End, We Are Just Visiting. And I really like that song, even though it's, you know, it's like sort of tragic. Uh, if you want to have that perspective, right? Like, it is, but that's the truth. So that concept is important to me because I really truly believe it. I don't think there are accidents. Um, you know, I know in the human drama of life, we have those stories, right? And even with Basil, it's like, what happened? What killed him? You know, did he choke? Did he have a seizure? What happened? But, you know, it's easier with a dog, of course. Just let it go, right? Like, who knows? It was just his time. His contract was over. His assignment was up. Thank you for your service. And that's what I've been saying to him every day since, you know, thank you. Thank you for the time here. Thank you for your lessons. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your service. We love you. And you were such an important part of our family. And now we're all having to regroup. So that was, um, yeah, that was, those are my feelings. That was partly Ever's perspective. Oh, I was going to say, so the first night that he was gone, he always comes into my room and sits with us. He's the only dog that has ever been allowed in my room. He just hangs out on the rug. Um, truly, he had gotten too too big um, to jump on the bed anymore, also kind of old. So he was fine on the floor, on the rug, on the carpet. And as we sat there watching a show together, um, Ever kept kind of like turning away towards the wall. And I didn't know what she was doing, if she was crying or, you know, she was trying to go to sleep. Um, but eventually she turned back and she said, Mom, I know he's here. I feel him. I see him. And, you know, that was really sweet. And I believe her. I did, too. And then last night, so a couple nights after his death, she, she was upset again, um, as she has been on and off, and said, I don't feel him now. I'm sad. I don't feel him. And so we had this talk about, you know, what happens when a soul leaves, like when they leave their body. And the kids could clearly see, I think, he had left his body. You know, his body was just a shell. Um, that his soul was probably floating around for a little bit. And I told Ever, I asked him, I asked him to send me a message that he had been, um, that he had traveled safely to the other realm. And the next morning after his death, I saw two cardinals right on our tree, right in front of the kitchen window. And I told her, you know, that's what that means to me. Cardinals visit often when there's a soul that has gone at any point. But to me, that was the message. And so I shared that with her, Ev. He's there. He's there safely. He's he's in the other realm and he's fine and he's happy. And, oh, you know, we did the whole rainbow bridge thing and explained all that just so they had even more visuals for whatever they wanted to imagine in their mind, right, that he was done with this reality. Um. So anyway, back to the fact that she wasn't feeling him. There was also the conversation around that, that, you know, his soul is around. 
Uh, we can feel him if we kind of tune in and we ask. Um, he will be with us. He will guide us, especially on this move. But we might not feel him all the time now. You know, he might have chosen to stay in the other realm completely and and be free in that way and run in the fields and eat as much as he wants and, you know, all of the things we imagine with this rainbow bridge idea. So that was hard, though. I mean, it's just hard to hear these things, I think, in some ways come out of kids. But on the other hand, I think it's really beautiful and honest and and is better than no conversation. Um, I tried to remember back when I was a kid, you know, we had a dog die and there really wasn't any conversation about it. My mom just cried a lot. She was really attached to this dog. And, um, you know, I mean, that was that in a sense. So I'm feeling like it's good to have these conversation pieces. I did have a cute little interaction with Deva yesterday. So that's another thing, right? Like when you're two, when you're Cove's age, eh, doesn't really bother you. She watched us put Basil into the ground and she just kept saying, I love you, Basil. I love you, Basil. Again and again in her squeaky voice, but no tears. And I think that's so fascinating to reflect on too. A two-year-old is just right here, right now. And, you know, is it sad or is the story sad? And I think for her, it was just another day for the most part, but she knew we were sad. So that was her. And then Deva, who's four, um, she was scared because we were all down in the yard and she couldn't find her shoes and she couldn't get down there. So I had to go get her, but she was just scared. What was going on? What, what was the fuss about? Um, you know, and she saw Basil, but I don't know that she quite computed. So we had a talk about what being dead means, um, how your body stops working and all of that. And so yesterday on the way home, I had taken her, her out just by herself, which was really cute. She was in the back seat of my car and she had a dog stuffed animal. And as I was driving just quietly, I heard her ask the dog, are you dead? And, and she repeated back to herself, as if she was the dog. No, my heart is still beeping, which was so precious. So we had talked about that. If your heart's still beating, then you're probably not dead, probably. Um, so yeah, her little stuffed animal reported that its heart was still beeping. How adorable is that? Uh, but she knows. She knows as much as she can at four. She knows about Sable. Um, she knows that her name, Deva Sage, is, is um, you know named after him and what happened to him as much as she can. So all the reactions, um, the boys, you know, I didn't see a whole lot of crying or emotion except for my oldest who has become increasingly able to communicate his emotions, uh, which might sound silly, but he's been kind of stoic, which I don't think is unusual for a 16 year old boy. Um, I wish it wasn't that way, but I think it is typical. And so it was really beautiful to just feel his love um, towards me. You know, everybody knew this was my dog and he just kept hugging me and saying, mom, I'm sorry. You know, that's really hard. Like just, he knew exactly what to say, which, you know, how do you teach a kid that? I think some people have it and some people don't um, to a certain extent, especially with death. But he was just um, very, very tuned in. And later in the day we were talking about, you know, we're having issues with this landlord. Um, 
and and our dogs have become an issue because she has nothing else to focus on. There's a whole other boring story I'm not going to tell. But my son just looked at me and he said, you know, um, people don't understand that they're part of our family. You know, people people might think that they mean nothing. And so clearly, you know, they do mean a lot. They do mean something. And his dog in particular uh, means a lot to him. So, you know, like these situations are are hard in a sense, but they're beautiful. They bring up conversation and they bring up an awareness of the truth of life, you know, and then the fact that we don't have to focus on that. And I think that's a whole other thing with kids because it does create fear, especially in little children. You know, they see a dog literally just drop dead. Um, They think, what if that happens to me? What if that happens to my mom? Right? So we have to deal with the fear around these things first And just the common sense, like, yes, things die, everything dies, plants die. Um, But it's rare for it to happen when someone isn't old or sick. You know, it is rare. It does happen, but it's rare. And if it does happen, then we have to trust that this is as it should be. And we have to take care of ourselves because as I was explaining to them, it's way harder. It's way harder for the people left. I kept saying, you know, Basil, I think Basil is happy he's running, he's playful, um, he's free now. And we're the ones that are sad. Because we remember. So how can we remember in a way that feels good? Um, Amelia had a great idea. And thank, thank God, because I was not, you know, fully in this, in this planning brain as I was burying him. Um, but she had the, the, the state of mind, I should say, to cut off some fur. So we put some fur in a little tiny bottle Um, ever put some in a little tiny locket that she has. We kept his collar, of course. Amelia tried her best to do some footprints with some paint before we buried him. And that was another nice idea. So just these little ways to remember him. And I'm sure the conversation will continue as time goes on. I'm sure they will have more questions. I'm sure we will continue to think of him. But also, as we know, time does heal. And that's been another thing. You know, Belgium came up to me last night and she said, Mom, um, have you cried today about Basil? And I said, yes, I have. And she wanted to know more about that. Uh, And I said, you know, I just, I feel him. I feel that he's happy, but I miss him. And she had her piece to say. And it was just, again, like each day, it's not that we would think of him less, but we'll miss him less in a way. Um, we'll, We'll find our flow again. And especially with moving, you know, sad but true, uh, we have a lot going on right now. And I'd say I'm pretty distracted. And I will always remember him, of course. But once we're in the moving train, and we are actually in a new house, then that changes it too, right? We have so many memories with him in this house. So I, I don't want those memories to go away. I want the kids to be able to talk about him and think about him as much as they want to or need to. Um, I also want them to keep just being open and talking with us about how they're feeling and, and what they're scared of and, and all of that. Um, but in the end, I guess all of these conversations have felt valuable. And I don't have any more answers than that for them. You know, I don't have a guarantee. And I guess that is a hard part of being a parent. We can't guarantee anything for anyone. And sometimes I wonder if there's a better way to say that that might not feel so scary, but I don't have it. 
I really don't have it. All I have is we're alive now. Let's live. We have each other. Um, another thing I brought up, I think, and this is obvious, but for many of us and for the kids, is that we should be more intentional with each other every day. And I need that as much as everyone. So every day, you know, have I looked every child I have in the eyes and said, I love you, you know? Um, I think it's totally easy to get busy, especially for me right now or for any of us, and to just assume, you know? And it's a dog, right? Like, it's not the end of the world. Um, it was a dog, but when was the last time I looked at my own dog and said, like, hey, buddy, um, you're a good boy. And I did do that quite a bit in the last bunch of months. Um, maybe I had some kind of knowing, but I did try to pay attention to him when I could, even if it was only for a couple of seconds. But the point being that we never know. So what are we doing right now to really live? What are we doing to honor each other? Even when people are annoying in our family, right? And that was another conversation with the kids. Like, you guys don't always have to be in love with each other. Um, but take the time to just say goodnight or goodbye when you leave. And I don't, I don't mean that in a fearful way. It's just do that for yourself because there are regrets. And Amelia, for example, part of her upsetness around Basil's death wasn't because Basil was her dog or she was super close to him. It was because she had been mean to him in her words. Um, the day he died, you know, he's he was annoying in a lot of ways. He would pick out of the trash. He just did things that we were used to. And after 10 years, you know, what are you going to do? But silly things like that. And so she confessed that she was feeling terrible, that she had kicked him or, you know, said something mean. I don't know exactly what happened. Um, just kind of was short with him and, and didn't appreciate him. So, you know, those are the lessons. And I think we each get what we need. And they're ultimately all good because why wouldn't we make the most of our lives? Why wouldn't we love each other more, right? Um, it's all beautiful. It's all great. And we're left living. We're left living here. And that's a good thing no matter what happens. So thanks for listening to my ramble about kids and the death of our dog. Um, I don't know that I really hit on some of the more concrete things I had planned, but this is also sort of an emotional release. So I hope you'll take it for what it is and uh, hold space from afar, if you would, for this time. And sending love right back to you all through the internet waves. Thank you for being here through these times in our family and sharing your thoughts when you have them. I'd always love to hear from you. One last thing, and not related to the topic, but just IndieBirthMidwiferySchool.org is now enrolling all the time. That's our big announcement. We do have a webinar on April 24th that you can find if you're on our social or Instagram. Um, but otherwise, we would love to see you get interested about becoming a midwife and start this Indie Birth Midwifery School process with us. All right, lots of love, everybody. Have a great week.